You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Tonight, uh, we'll have a conversation about one of Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Sounds very deep, but it's not, not as deep as it sounds. Uh, but because um, one of the things that I have a mandate to do as long as resident pastor here is to get other teaching gifts to discover themselves and because sometimes it's nice to hear other things except your own voice tonight I'm going to share some of my time with um, all right thank you thank you amen amen can I <laughs> okay Okay, so tonight I'm going to share some of the pulpit with uh, a young man who leads here at LifePoint. Um, and we're, just so you understand, we're, we're looking at a letter that um, Jesus writes or sends to the church, I think in Pegamos, it's the second one. Um, last week, we had a beautiful time, Folabi and Demilade uh, took us through. Um, so, so, so to pro progress that conversation, can we welcome Ejiro? Um as he shares with us tonight. I think this is his first time sharing here at LifePoint. Come through. And if you would notice the clear difference in dress style <laughs> um, <laughs> and height. <laughs> but Adrian's got seven minutes. So I said to Adrian, look, will you please read the passage? And as God impresses your heart and leads you, would you come and share with the church? And he's very kindly obliged. So let's encourage him. Let's shout and, you know, woo! Go ahead. Praise God. <laughs> um, can we just uh, sing for like 30 seconds, Good, Good Father? Because I think that one of the things that stands like between us and God's word sometimes is ourselves. Um, our opinion of ourselves and how we think we might have feelings and we might have failures. But I think we should just remind ourselves that our Father actually honestly loves us um, and that when he sent Jesus, he had already factored in our annoying behavior, our recurring feelings. So let's just sing Good, Good Father and then we'll pray and then we'll start. You're a good, good Father who you are it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by, it's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, yes, it's who Father, we're so grateful for this opportunity to be your children, and we accept all of your love. 
we acknowledge our imperfections and we accept all of your love. We know that we are not less to you because of our failings. And so today, as we share your word, there will be no hindrance between the Holy Spirit and our hearts. We'll receive fully from you. In Jesus' name, have we prayed? Amen. Okay. Um, P.I., I don't know what version of... Okay, I'll use my phone. Is that fine? Okay, thank you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So we're talking about the church in... Hi, guys. Hi, guys. We're talking about the message to the church in Pergamum. Some people call it Pergamos. And I'll just read quickly. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful servant, witness, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who received it. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to touch, I think now I have like maybe five minutes. I'm going to touch very like briefly on four things. Um, the first is, okay, so I was, I think I was talking, I was saying to PI earlier, um, even though this, the messages are to churches in places, so there's Ephesus and there's Pergamum, Right? And there's, um, what's the other one? Smyrna that we did last week. I believe, and I think we're in agreement that the message is to the church. And so it's also like a message to churches in like different times. So a lot of what is said here is relevant to us now. So when I read this, um, you live in the city where Satan has his throne. I was like, ah, how, <laughs> like, how horrible was this city? Right? And so I did a little research. And it turns out that, oh, there was, where are my notes? There was like a throne for Zeus in the city. Um, the temple of a god named Asclepius, a god of healing. Right? You know the snake symbol on the pharmacist and hospitals thing? Yeah, it's related to that god. So people would go and lie down in his temple and among snakes and get healed. And there was also like a temple for Caesar in the city. So it was like really at the center of like, do you get, I don't call it dark arts, but you get what I'm saying, of like idolatry. So I was saying to myself, if Jesus was writing a letter to the church in 2019, I think that description would like be really close. Where Satan has his throne. Because the reality of today is that we experience idolatry 
on like so many levels, right? There's the very apparent worship of money that is evident on social media and worship of power, right? And where people are willing to compromise their faith and compromise their, their beliefs, right? Just to get in with the crowd or just to look cool or just to be popular or just to be famous, right? But what Jesus says to this church is, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful servant, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. And I said, asking myself, are we denying Jesus? So if he wrote this letter to us today and said, um, I know that you live in the generation where Satan has established his throne, would he continue with, yet, Adriel, you have remained faithful to me? Or have I, through my actions or inactions, denied Jesus? denied the existence of Jesus, denied the power of Jesus, denied the sacrifices of Jesus, or even denied the, the principles or beliefs behind Christianity. Um, so that was the first thing, or, or the first two things. One, that we do live in a generation that Satan has sort of established a throne, and two, we are faced daily with decision-making as to deny Jesus or not deny Jesus, right? Adjust the check here, shift that figure there, lie on your report here. For those of you who work in firms where you have to like retire expenses um, on, on receipted expense, 200,000, and you know you didn't spend the money because it's the practice. So culture, slowly, will make you do things that force you to deny Jesus. You need to answer that question every day. Um, the next thing he said is, yes, even though you guys have sort of fought for my name, yet I have something against you. You have let the teachings of Balaam, right, and, um, Nicole, of, the, and of the Nicolaitans sort of fester amongst you. Um, I'll just summarize, because my time is up, wow. I'll just summarize this um, very quickly. So my understanding of this um, is they had let false teachings or teachings where it seemed like, oh, there's a marriage between church and the world. So we, like, we can accept everything that they do and sort of just still be all right, right? And I feel like that's also where we are now. Where we, in trying to look to be cool enough for the world, we, we are prioritizing world things over God things and world views over God views. There are many Christians now that can't say God created man and woman, and that's how he created them, because we don't want to be offensive. We're trying to be politically correct. And while we will not judge anybody because we are not acknowledging, or we are not saying that we're perfect, we acknowledge our imperfections, I believe that the church is called to be light. Um, and Light cannot be light if it is dark, right? Um, if you take a clean cup of water and you drop things in it, it's no longer clean. And I feel that that is something that, once again, we need to ask ourselves. In what ways are we saying, oh, 
it's okay to be this, that, that, that. And you can still be Christian. Don't worry. It's all right. We're good. Because I feel like this is what Jesus was coming for. And he said, and on my day, on, when I come to judge, I'll bring the sword and then I'll cut them off. Jesus does not, the church wasn't meant to be the marriage ground for the world and Christ. The church is meant to be the place where the world comes to find Christ. Um, I just pray that in our lives, as we are ambassadors of Christ, as we preach his word, um, as we try and live for him, I pray that we will, we will not compromise. We will not be ourselves the Balaams and the Nicolaitans of today's church, but we will stand for God's truth. We will stand for God's word. Thank you very much. Amen. Well done, Ejiro. Yeah. Yep. He'll, he should be a pastor one day. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, can you please, I'm sounding funny. Uh, I'm just going to continue from, from, from where Ejiro stopped. And I, one of the things I prayed and still pray as preparing for this whole set of discussions on, on Wednesdays was that God will write a letter to me and to you. That God will say, dear Samuel, you know, and then he would start his conversation. That he would say, write a letter to Shade, and then he will start, you know, a conversation. Because sometimes we're very aware of what God is telling other people. We're very clear in our minds about God's message to your neighbor. The one who brings different girls home every night. You're very clear. You're, you're very clear about what God is telling your boss at work. You are a bit clear about what God is telling your pastor. But you're not sure about what God is telling you. Right? <laughs> to be honest, and I said it not the first time, is that sometimes I don't think we want to even hear. And the way we pray sometimes shows that we don't want to hear. Because if you go into a prayer time and you spend 99% of the time talking, it means you really do not want to hear. And not because we don't respect what God says. It's just that sometimes, you know, he's got, look at the things he's telling these people here. Yeah, those are Christians that are going to be recorded in the Bible. And he's just calling them out. And who wants to be called out like that? Um, but I'll start with, you know, that concept that you you know, um, very kindly mentions the one about Jesus saying to these guys in Pergamos, he says that I know thy works. So you read Revelations 2 and 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. And I remember saying two weeks ago that it's interesting that one of the recurring things um, that Jesus says to, I think it's all the churches, it might be at least five of them is that he says to them, I know your works. And I said, it's interesting because we are the generation that teaches grace. And so we teach it out of Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of your works, lest any man should boast. So, and we say, so works do not matter. But when Jesus speaks to the churches in Revelation, he consistently says, I know your works. So 
the things we do having received grace are very important. And I'll say that they're works of grace. They are works of grace. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace. But that grace then produces things that we do. Let no one deceive you that it doesn't matter what you do. 1 Corinthians 15, I think Paul says that having received the grace of God, he says, I labored more than them all. Right. Um, but here he says in Revelation 2.13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Right? I mean, sometimes you're out in Lagos traffic and you're sure that some of this is not physical. Some of the people here are not. Sometimes you know that that guy, that guy, and that guy are not from here. Even if they are from here, they are being controlled from somewhere else. And sometimes that guy is you. But we just see you. We don't want to say anything. Um, but there are different theaters of operation in the spirit. And like, like Adrian rightly said, you know, mentioned, when you would go to that particular city, Pergamon then, they said there was something called the Acropolis. It was a very high, elevated part of the city. And the historians would tell you that it was about a thousand feet above the plain. And that very prominently there were huge altars. There's an immense altar to Zeus. It was what was in the full view of people. It's interesting. And this is one of the reasons why government is important. Because government sometimes shapes what people see, think of, focus on continually. One day, one government will say in Daniel's time, people would pray to, or not pray, one time in Nebuchadnezzar's time, they would say everyone will come and worship this particular figure. Governments are important. But we need to be sensitive to where we are. And he doesn't say this to the city or the church in Ephesus. He doesn't say it to the church in Smyrna. So your location carries certain peculiar characteristics from in the spiritual. And it's important to, as a Christian, be sensitive to it. This is not being spooky, but it's just understanding. If you go into a city like Lagos, you know, where people just, you know, they, they're very creative, you know, two-lane road, we form four or six or seven. You know, there are some creative spirits at work here. But like Ejiro rightly said, what will Jesus say about Lagos? What would he say about Lagos? Well, it's amazing that in the midst of all that idolatry, and these guys, everywhere they went, so if you looked up from the city, you would see a huge, you would probably see someone worshipping an idol. And spot on, because in our world today, are there things that continuously program our hearts away from God? Idolatry is a strange word. Idols are even stranger. Because um, I grew up in Benin. Hint, hint. And Benin is that one, if you've ever been to, people who've never been to Benin think that everywhere you go to in Benin, there's a shrine. That's almost true. <laughs> almost true. But at least they put their shrines out. In Lagos, the shrines are on phones, in clubs, on Instagram. 
I, I, but my point is, idolatry is not a term that we use so easily in our days, but it doesn't mean that idols have phased away. It just means that we've now, we've rebranded, thank you, we've rebranded them. <laughs> the beautiful thing nowadays, I think, you see the idols, you won't recognize them. It's true. But what will Jesus say draws our hearts away from him? Very important. And you have to be sensitive to where you live. You have to be sensitive to where you stay. Um, I was traveling over the weekend and I remember saying to um, a friend of mine that I, I was just very struck by how self-sufficient the people were in such a way that I didn't get the sense that people needed to reference God. It's a, it's a different conversation, but... <laughs> he says, you leave where Satan's seat is. What will God say about where you leave? However, you know, it, it, he doesn't stop there. In verse 13, he says, and that thou holds fast my name and has not denied my faith. He says, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, in case you don't know what a matter was, he explains it in the next verse. He says, who was, he was killed. Oh, wow. He was killed among you where Saturn dwells. And this began to, <laughs> it began to do my theology one kind. I was like, hey, hey, hey. because, um, because here, Jesus says someone died who believed in him. And as Christians, we do not, we, we, our theology about death is God will give me long life. And that, but, but he seems to speak about death here, not casually, but with a lot of, oh, Antipas died like it was a, it was a good thing. And that, that wasn't, that didn't sit well with me. So, I know I said it two weeks ago, how that the whole concept of being martyred, of dying, giving your life for the gospel was one that marked the early church in such a way that God did different things with them. And that the more a generation keeps away from God, that the less they see of the hand of God. But, but it's not even Antipas that's the issue. Um, it's that Jesus commends this church. He says, because someone died and you did not deny God. And I began to ask myself, what are the things that could happen in my life, in my space, in my walk with God, that would maybe make me deny him? You know, so, so Josh, you know, that girl you like, you really like, and you like her in a Christian way. Not just for her body. No, no, no. That's for unbelievers. You like her for her spirit, for her soul. Josh is like, why am I in church today? You know, you, you like her for her spiritual gifts, uh, for her future, for her anointing, her destiny, all the Christian words. You like her, and then you take your allowance minus the tithe, you buy her a gift. And she gives you, you know, she's sharing scripture with you. You are sharing scripture with her. 
you know, the way Christians do romance. And, you know, you, you hear Natalia Bass's new song, you forward it to her, she forwards you, Tasha Cops. You know, everything is going on well. <laughs> then and tomorrow on Instagram, she says she's engaged to Emmanuel. And <laughs> and suddenly, you're not even sure whether God exists. <laughs> you know, you come to church, you're playing the wrong song during worship. <laughs> you're actually playing Bonner Boy during worship. But, sorry, my imagination is going. But my point is, and we laugh about it, but the things which make us deny God can be something like, you know, you go through interview. You know, if they're going to reject you, why didn't they just reject you in the first stage? You even went to Port Harcourt for the interview. Then you, then, you in, you, then you met the MD. Then just before you met the MD, you went for prayer meeting on Saturday. And since Achina here told you, God is about to do a new thing in your life. <laughs> It says, Antipas died. It says, but you did not, you hold fast to my name. And I started, in fact, I, I wrote the sentence in my heart and I, I underlined Antipas and I said, what, what, what is it in our case? For someone, Josh, I'm not talking about your relation, but just use an example. You're successful romantically, you know that, right? Good. But for someone, it's a relationship that failed. For someone, it's a job, it's a career. For someone, it's even someone else's faith. That pastor you thought was all cool and nice, and this is what they said about him. And so I began to say to myself that even the failure of the whole church will not make me deny God. I started talking to myself. Job chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, Job's wife has a conversation with Job. She says to him, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. When your wife says that to you. And, and I said, look guys, Jesus is saying to this church, I am so proud of you. That not disaster or disappointment. And it's still a challenge for us in our theology because we, we are the ones who talk about a gospel that does not accommodate disaster or discouragement, or even, God forbid, death. Ha! In fact, if I said on Sunday I'm going to teach about death, I suspect only the leaders will come to church. See, I don't know what it's going to save, Shah, but me, I'm not coming. <laughs> and I began to say to myself, Lord, would you bring me to a point like this church where I would say that nothing will make me deny your name. It says you hold fast to my name. You know, in Philippians, it says his, God has given him a name that is above all names. At the mention of the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, tongue will confess. In Colossians 3.17, he says, whatsoever things you do, whether in deed or in word, that you will do them in the name of Jesus. So when Jesus would explain in John 15, 16 and 17 about the life that we would live, he would talk about a lot about us doing it in his name. It's interesting how, you know, and, and please, just keep focused. But you know, nowadays we talk about why, why do I have to change my name when I get married? Please just change the name. Right? Please, just, just change the name. Um, let's move on. There are more serious issues at the moment. But, and I'm just serious, serious. And I'm a feminist on one side. And the male version on the other side. But 
But it's because marriage in itself is such a graphic depiction of the covenant that God has with the church. And the same way Jesus will give his name to the church is the same way a man will give his name to his wife. That is what it is. It, it's not because one is superior. No, it is. It is the, so, and what then happens is that when you would come out, so, um, so Bimbo, what was your former name? Uh, sorry? Tai. So Bimbo used to be Bimbo Tai when they used to know her as Bimbo Tai, a hot girl in Unilag and all the other places that she was from. And then she, she you know, Femi you know, crossed her one day. She heard a story, beautiful romantic story. And Femi, you know, they get married. And she becomes Bimbo Agboade. The truth is that for the first couple of weeks, it probably was a bit difficult for her. Because she would go and say, what's your name? And she'd be like, Bimbo Tai. And, like, and Femi would look at her, you know, side eye. And then she'd say, Agboade, right? It, was, it took a bit of getting used to. But after a while, she would go out and they would say, she would say, Bimbo Agboade. And somebody would look at her and like, Agboade, do you know a Femi? Because it's the very same thing that happens to the church when we take the name of Christ. And that when we would mention the name of Jesus, people would look at us and say, do you know God? Are you related to Jesus? What of Paul? Are you guys related? So, so when H.G. was talking about us denying the name of Christ, it's not a small thing at all. Do, do we, or are you still holding your former name? Because sometimes when you get, when you come from like a really rich family, you're not changing that name. Oh. <laughs> And worse, you will add his name to it. Say, what's his name? Paul. Uh, my father's name is Dangote. So my new name is Miriam Dangote Paul. You know, you kind of add it to it. So they know who you, are, who you used to be. And who you can still be. <laughs> are we denying the name of Jesus? Don't forget that this is to a church where idolatry was not hidden. It was a thousand feet up in the sky. If you, you didn't have to look far. To see people worshipping idols. And I don't say this lightly, but I think that for all the things that are happening in our world that we like or don't like, there's a work happening in Nigeria. And it's not hard to see. So we can give reasons for it, but there are things that we worship in our country that we shouldn't worship. Uh, am I... so? Jesus is writing to the church and one interesting thing he writes as a, a line in all the letters he says he that has an ear let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches including Lifepoint Church he said Antipas was killed he says but this guy is still holding on to my name and I actually wrote a song I'm going to let the choir Right, read it, sing it for me one day. But, but I, it's a song. I like, I'm not like a proper like songwriter. I don't have a beat. But the first line of the song says, "Cynthia can go, but I'm holding on fast to your name." <laughs> yeah, that's my song. Is like, I encourage me. But then it says, "Dollar can rise, but I'm holding fast to your name." Lucky can flood, but I'm holding fast to your name. Riches can, and I'm not joking, riches can come, but I'm holding fast to your name. Things may be slow, but I'm holding fast to your name. I hold on. And anybody, since you guys are laughing, I'm just going to leave my song alone. When they sing it and like a hit, <laughs> like a big hit. But my question to you <laughs> today is, look, have you let, do people know Jesus' name with you? 
So we've gotten comfortable with the brand of Christianity that says, oh no, you shouldn't flaunt it. Just live your life. And if they guess, they guess. But that's not how it's supposed to be. It's not. I mean, it's like getting engaged to a girl and she's hiding her engagement ring. There's something going on. You have to check. And you want her to wear it everywhere. And I don't know why guys don't get an engagement ring, but that's a matter for another day. Because we also want to show that we're engaged. Just in case you don't know. But, sorry, I am so sorry. That's not part of my notes at all. This is... Help me ask the person next to you, are you denying Jesus' name? And I love these letters because Jesus doesn't make small talk. I feel that for someone, you are at a place in your walk with God where he's so tired of making small talk with you. What is small talk? Small talk is your, how you're going to get to work. For someone, your job is small talk before God. God, I want a promotion. I'm just looking at you like, man, if you know the conversation I want to have with you, God, I want a husband. He's still an angel. Slap that guy for me. Stop that lady. But he commends this church. He says, you've held on. And I really deeply pray that when God begins to write a letter to you, that, <laughs> that he would say some of his things about us. But then he moves on in verse 14. He says, but I have a few things against thee. And, you know, this is my, anytime I see this, um, I ask myself, God, are there things in my life that you are not pleased with? Because I know that God loves me more than anybody else in this world. In fact, all combined together, God loves me. But I'm like, God, are there things that I need to sort out? Because you should almost never really live your Christian life like it's perfect. Paul says, not, we're not behaving as if we've arrived already. You should, be, you should be willing to stand before God. You can stand before us and act like you're perfect. We love your tongues. We, we, your, your Bible is, your, it has all the right colors in it. You know all the New Hill songs. Song. That's fine. You can pretend for us. But please, when you stand before God, would you let him speak to you and say, Ah! Your list is long. Or whatever he says. Or just maybe there's one thing. He says, because you have of them, verse 14, who hold on the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Uh, Someone says, what is the doctrine of Balaam? If you read, I think it's Numbers chapter 22. Balaam is a prophet. Balak is a king who wants to attack Israel. He sends messengers to Balaam. The first time they go, the Bible says they're holding in their hands the reward of divination. That's what it calls it. So they take an offering. Balaam shows up. God says, who are these men? He says, tell them to go away. They go away. The next time when they show up, you read verse 18, the Bible says, <sighs> Balaam has a discussion. It says, if, in fact, the next time when they come, they come with a promise. They say, the, the king says, I will give you great honor. So they are escalating rewards for pushing an agenda that's not of God. 
and we see Balaam's heart shifting. In fact, he begins to say to them, if the king will give me great gold and houses full of gold. Summary is that God gets exasperated and says, yeah, go. And as Balaam is going, an angel shows up before him and his donkey to kill him. You know that story. This is the one where the donkey blocks him off. And then the donkey speaks and then he repents. And God says, look guys, there are people who are preaching the doctrine of Balaam. <laughs> and I remember when I read about Balaam, one of the things I said is that we don't, you shouldn't really negotiate with temptation. You shouldn't let your heart go after evil. Now you should be careful who you collect money from and gold from. You shouldn't collect all money. And I say that very boldly. You, not all money is yours to collect. And I say that. I mean, you should look at... so, and Because we're in this society where guys try to impress ladies with the things they buy. Ladies, there are gifts you should reject in Jesus' name. Yeah. It brings a G-Wagon. You look at him. Okay, what do you do? He say, uh, IT. You say, oh... <laughs> <laughs> they say, okay, do you know Python? So that's a snake, I know it. They say, okay, well, then you understand he doesn't really know IT. And my point is, you say, this car, this car is the one my pastor talks about, but I don't know the work you do. And so I'm so sorry. I know you say you love me, and I really like this car, but I'm rejecting it in Jesus' name. <laughs> Until a Christian brother like Nefemi buys you one, or you just buy one for yourself. It is not all, so someone comes to the office, it is not all gifts that you receive. There's a contractor bidding for a contract in your office, it brings you a Rolex, you say, I know you like, you look like a, ah, and the watch you're using is Swatch. This Rolex looks like it will fit you, sir. And you wait. <laughs> and when you get to the tender board, your, your conscience is gone. You need to read that conversation between Balaam and God, and realize that God deals with more than just actions. He deals with the motives of our... Because you're wondering, but God, you told Balaam to go. And Balaam is going and God sends an angel to kill him. Because there's something, his heart, though Balaam was still in God's presence saying, God, should I go or not? His heart had gone already. And God says, look, there's doctrine... And so on Sunday, for example, when we talk about, as we talk about the history of the church, we talk about the Orthodox Church. We will trace the origination, the evolution of doctrine within the church and how the Bible came and why doctrine is such a powerful thing. But here he says, look, there are doctrines that you hold on to. He says that are a problem. And then it speaks again about the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. I want us to get to a place as we contemplate these churches, get to a place where we are comfortable with God who tells us the truth. Where we are comfortable with the God who actually likes some things and doesn't like some things. And it's the tr that's God. Because as we try to preach grace, like Ejiro was saying, sometimes we want to posture as the church and say, God loves everything. But he does not. 
and this is not, we don't have to go far. He uses very strong words. I hate the thing I hate. Because there is a God that we try to sell so people are comfortable who likes everything. He likes Manchester United, Arsenal, uh, Man City. That's not true. Arsenal, he's clear about what he wants. <laughs> Sorry, that's Liverpool actually. Arsenal have a, a, a spiritual thing going on there. <laughs> but, but, this, but as, I, and as I read these letters, man, I've been like, oh my goodness. I've been challenged in my faith and in the way I look at my life with God. I'm bold enough to stand in God's prayer and say, God, I know that you like some things and I know that you do not like some things. We, we, we need to be comfortable with God criticizing. Guys, it gets, gets next week. There's one church and I know it's going ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, next week is about repentance. So if you're not into that repentance stuff, you might not, you, you should come. But <laughs> he's, ah, next week he was tough with them. The church in Tartary, one time it, oh no, look, let me just leave that. But, ah, God knows what he likes. But do we know what he likes? Because I think there's a liberation in our hearts, in our walk with God. As we approach him from that perspective. There's an excitement about my walk now. Because I know, like, you know, Andrew, rightly said, that I'm not perfect at all yet. In fact, in one letter, I'm not sure which one it was I was reading, he tells them, he says, the, this is proof, him, the person I love, I will, crit, I will chastise. That's what he says to them. So the sound guy doesn't like this message. But this, <laughs> so the Christian life that rec receives no correction the Christian life that receives no correction is a precarious one. You must receive encouragement. And I like the way God writes his letters. He tells them, this is what I love about you. I like how you are tall. You are fine. I like your worship. You know? But then he says, well, hey, this is total nonsense that you are doing here. And he says to them, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. Verse 17, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name. Now, there's some things that are similar in all the letters. One, he writes, he starts by saying to the angel of the church. And some writers and theologians will say he speaks to the overseers of the church. God respects authority. This is important to know. God respects authority, especially in the church. It's not something we say enough or say loudly in our generation that likes informal structures and things being fluid, but God respects authority. And this is not one of those ones where we're trying to say the pastor is untouchable. That's not, God respects the structure of authority within his churches. So that's one thing. Two, he says to them, I know your works. He says it's across most of the churches. That phrase I just read, to him that overcomes, he says it to all the churches. 
And, and so, <laughs> there is, a, and I think maybe at the end of this whole discussion, I would probably highlight all the similarities in the letters. But he says to this church, if you, and to each of the church, he gives a reward. There's a different reward. So there's also one note I have where I've put all the rewards in. In fact, there's another thing. He introduces himself by a different name to all the churches. So some people tell you, when you're talking to God, you don't have to mention all these different titles. Da, 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 da. He's the one that does it. He does it himself here. He calls himself. And if you're like, like a worship leader, you need to go and read all the beautiful, just all the beautiful names he calls himself. But here he says, but to him who overcomes. And, and I, I want to reiterate this, is that our Christian walk is a battle. It's not a casual stroll down the pack. You're part of an army. To him that overcomes, will I give to it of the hidden manna. I think that's what one translation says. It says, and I will give him a white stone. Now, I said to Falabi last week, you know, we're talking about the service, and, and I said to him, look, when I read the book of Revelations, there are some things which are unclear as to what they mean. And some things are symbols, obviously. If you put the scripture back, please. Um, so when he says, I'll give him, um, you guys want to go back to the manna one, yeah? I'll give him the hidden manna to eat. I honestly don't know what that means. And I could tell, so I mean, the way I looked at this was, well, this is like some kind of superpower thing. I'm serious. That's the only I said, well, you know, God is going to make me a superhero. And I'll give him a white stone. And on the white stone, a new name. The new name I could reckon with. And I, the other ones I don't. I Maybe for different people it means different things. I don't. I'm not going to try. And there's some that are easier to compare with the use in other parts of Scripture and say this is what it means. Some we don't know. I mean, we don't know yet. But about the name, he then explains in verse 18. It says... Um, What's verse 18? Tell me. Is there a verse 18? Um, hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Um, because what my translation says, written a new name, written which no man knows except he who receives it. Anyway, but the newness of name, that, that, that struck me. And I just want to mention that all through this letter, it's obvious that, you know, it's a big deal. The name, the name of Jesus holding onto his name. At the end, he says, I will give you a new name. I don't know who it is that God is still saying, look, there are things which you have to be called that you have not been called yet. The name that you currently bear for someone is the one that your parents gave you 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. But they gave you that name in faith. And for this church, it says, look, there are things which people have not even seen or heard about you. You know that there's a way, there, there are things that can happen to a person in life and then people start to call you a new name. You know, like when you, what we call in Lagos, when you blow, if you just come back, doesn't mean you explode. It means that you come into a super abundance of wealth. When you blow, they start to call you new names. What's the guy's handsome? Oh? <laughs> Big Joe. <laughs> Boss, chairman. Oh, chairman. 
They don't know your name anymore. Chairman, Prince. <laughs> but God says, I will give you a new name. <laughs> I've been praying about this one and saying, God, would you, as we read through these letters, would you write our own letter for us, both as a church and also as individuals? The one thing that stood out to me the strongest in this letter and I'm going to read one verse and we'll pray was this conversation about holding on to his name in the midst of idolatry so I think that scripture is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31 because it says you hold fast to my name you hold fast to something that can be blown away or taken away from you. You know, sometimes uh, if you go out in the wind, like it's very windy, ladies, you're not holding on to your, oh yeah, that's a good one, yes. You, you don't hold on to your head itself because your head hopefully will not be blown away by the wind. But you're weak. <laughs> yeah, you, huh? It depends. Well, no, there's some wind that you have to hold your weak. You leave all that, uh, I mean, lady, you hold the wig down. Sometimes you have to hold your skirt, you know, that's just flowing in the wind. And like, hey, well, this is going to embarrass people here. And so you hold it down. Because you know. And so I remember that scripture when Paul begins to write in Romans chapter 8, that what then shall we say to these things? That if God be for us, who can be against us? It says... He that did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 31, 93. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns Christ who died and furthermore is also risen? Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tonight, that is the prayer I would ask us as a church to pray. But Lord, some of these things here don't sound like things I ever want to experience. Peril, sword, no, 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 never. <laughs> you know, you're, when you're in a prayer meeting or you're teaching and you say, you know, if somebody dies, people just say, God forbid. <laughs> but could we stretch our doctrine tonight, our theology, our faith in God tonight to say, Lord, beyond anything that can happen to me in my life. But nothing will separate me 
from your love. And it's, it's not the easiest place to get to. And so someone, you would pray this prayer tonight by faith. You will pray it by faith. If you put that scripture in Romans 8 up again, you will pray it by faith. And for someone, is, as you just know, it's just, I think 35, 36. It says, what shall separate us? Shall tribulation or distress? And for someone, I don't know what is your list. Just leave it on. I don't know what is on your list. But he says to the church, he says, even when Antipas died, it says, you held on to my name. And, and for me, tonight as you know, Christians in modern day Lagos, young people trying to make a living, trying to figure this thing out. I sense the God, Jesus literally standing in front of someone's heart and he's saying, could we make a deal tonight? Could we make a deal tonight that neither tribulation, nor distress, nor persecution, nor famine, no boyfriend, no girlfriend, no job, no nakedness, no peril, no sword, would you make a deal with God tonight that my relationship with you has no reference to comfort? It is not about convenience. It is not about happy. It is not just even about how happy I am. It is about the fact that I have decided to bear your name. That's one thing. It does seem that make Jesus very happy. Let's pray tonight, wherever you are. I'm going to give you the next couple of minutes to just worship him tonight. And so where you are, I'd like you to just worship him tonight. I'd like you to just worship him tonight. I'd like you to worship him tonight. Someone you're already speaking to God and saying, Lord, are there things which I have believed that you do not like? And, and it's fine, just go ahead with that conversation. For someone you're saying, God, would you point me in the direction that you want me to go? It's fine, just go ahead. For someone you're you're saying, Lord, I've already I kind of have denied you. You know, Peter does it a couple of times. But there is room for repentance, there's room for coming back. For someone, you know, that there's a holding on, there's a there's a grabbing that needs to happen tonight where you're saying Lord I am not letting go Job's wife says Job are you still here would you not just curse God and die and Job says you do not understand that this thing is more than persecution this thing is more than famine this thing is more than a husband it's more than money this thing is more than health it's more than death because it's in him I live and and have my being. This is my life. This is my life. Yeah, Cabo, it's more than your mystics. God is saying to someone. Someone needs to say to God tonight, even bigger than my mystics, I am holding on to your name. I know there are people around who are saying you are not fit to be a Christian. You cannot, you should not. But would you hold on to his name tonight? Jesus, the more I know you, oh, the more I want to know you, Jesus. 
So God is saying, I, I sense this, that he's saying, would you, can I be first? Before anything else that you want, you need, you think of, can I be first? He says, would you hold on? I, I don't know who this is about, but it's, all I, I don't know if in your, your hearts, your minds, for someone I feel like you can, it's like you can feel the wind blowing, you can feel things moving. And like that song earlier today, you were saying, look, where is God? But God is saying, would you hold on? Would you hold on? Would you hold on? I know everywhere you look around you, you seem to see idols. But would you hold on? Would you hold on? With both hands, everything, would you hold on? Would you hold on? And that prayer tonight is, is, is bigger worship, is greater worship than any song you could sing. It's, and that's, that's what I want you to just, if you can, just have a conversation with God about tonight. Is Lord, I will not deny your name. And, and if I've done it before, Lord, I repent. But, I, but I'm proud to bear your name. I'm proud to say your name. And Lord, I'm holding on to you. I'm holding on to you with everything. If it means that I may lose some things, Lord, that's fine. I'm holding on to you. I'm holding on to you. And, and, and that, that's, that's a prayer tonight for some. I know there are a number of things you want. You want to be famous. You want to be this. You want to be that. But would you consider the love of God? Would you consider the love of God? He says, when Antipas died, you refused to deny my name. I don't know who is dealing with the grief of losing something, but God is saying tonight, I encourage you to hold on. to please hold hands with someone on the left, on the right, anyone who's willing to pray. And Jesus keeps on saying to the churches, he says, to him who overcomes. And I don't know what the person who is, whose hands you are holding, I don't know what they are fighting. We don't know who they are fighting, what, what it is that they are fighting as a Christian. But may you, will I ask that you would, by the Holy Spirit, pray with and pray for them tonight declaring that they will overcome and, and it's because there is a reward attached to overcoming there's a reward attached to not giving up when do people give up sometimes when they are overwhelmed sometimes when they've lost something 
Sometimes when someone has said something, someone has posted something, but I'd like you to just pray. Pray in the Spirit a minute or two if you can or if you do. Just pray in the Spirit a bit. We are declaring over this house that we are an overcoming house. We speak to the very depths of life point, to the very core of this house. We declare that we are an overcoming house. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we speak over our brother. We speak over our sister, over our leaders, over our fathers, over our mothers. We declare that we overcome in the name of our Lord Jesus. We declare that our reward is sure in the name of our Lord Jesus. Hey, Madaka, take another minute. For someone you are praying for, you are praying with someone who doesn't feel strength in their soul anymore. But tonight we are ordaining victory. He says, He says, You are in the city where Satan's seat is. He says, Yet there is something about you that will overcome. Why don't you declare over their life that they are the head and not the tail? They are above and not beneath, that they are victorious in their victorious, in their coming in, in their going out. In the name of the Lord Jesus, declare they will not give up. Declare they will not deny the name of Jesus. They will not give up their faith. They will not give up their faith. They will hold on. They will hold on. They will hold on. He says, I will give unto you a new name. I will give unto you manna. Why don't you speak a blessing over their lives? Why don't you declare that the new dimension of their destiny, a new dimension of their identity in Christ, they call your calling in Christ, is unveiled in the coming season. A new name, a new name, a new name, a new name. Madakanda Magalosh. He says, weeping may last for the night, but that joy comes in the morning. Someone they will call you joy. Someone they will call you glory. Someone they will call you beautiful. Someone they will call you holy. Someone they will call you blessed. They will call you fresh. They will call you strong. They will call you loved. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Would you take a minute to, to just worship God privately? There are conversations happening between people and God which will, will define your life for a long time. Would you just take a minute and worship Him? Would you just take a minute and worship Him? If you have a song, we could sing one. But just go ahead. Maharab Oskaleba Rib Rigadesh. Love you forever because this God is so good. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.